Greetings, church family and guests who are joining us online today. I'd like to thank you for welcoming us into your homes, as Pastor Tom mentioned earlier, or from wherever you may be joining us online today. Pastor Tom mentioned earlier um, when he was sharing with you that we had over 600 views of last week's message. Might be a little bit of an exaggeration because I think about 70 of those were Tammy watching it over and over again. Tom only wishes that were true. You know, we're in a very interesting time as a church, and I'd like to just pause for a moment and talk to you from a pastor's heart. As I was going through the message for this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and in that passage, Paul was speaking throughout the whole passage as, as a pastor. He was sharing his heart for his people that he loved so very much, and it made me think about the situation that we're in right now as I'm sharing with you this morning. See, as I, I talked to a lot of the people in our church, and I've received emails throughout this week, and one of the things that really struck me is that there are people right now experiencing this coronavirus and this shutdown in very different ways. I would have to say there's kind of a continuum. I think we have people on one end of the continuum over here who are suffering greatly. Uh, I haven't known of anybody in our church yet who has had a, a family member or a loved one or a friend die from the coronavirus or experience significant health issues. But there may be people that are watching online right now who are sick yourselves. See, I think that could be one end. I have talked with people that are very concerned about their jobs. Maybe you're one of the people that's already experienced the loss of a job. And the financial concerns are very real for you and your family. So I think that's kind of the one end of the continuum that we have. And then we have others who... They're going into work. Life hasn't changed that much. Maybe you're experiencing the inconvenience of some of your stores that you normally go to have closed, but life hasn't changed all that much. But you see, I think that's the continuum that we're looking at, and the reality is I think most of us are somewhere in between. Life is changing for us on a daily basis, and there's uncertainties that we're not used to experiencing. And my hope for us is that as a church family, that we can come together and that we can address the concerns and the hurts and the, the trials and the pains of our people, the anxieties of our people, and address them with the word of God. You see, no matter where you are on that continuum, the real answer for all of us is Jesus Christ. And as believers in Jesus Christ, as we're ministering to people, as we're talking to friends and neighbors, the most important thing that we can do is to point them to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only real answer at a time like this. And that's the greatest thing that we can do as a church, is to continually point people to Christ. In today's passage, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul longed to be in person with the believers in Thessalonica. You see, the Thessalonian church was a young church, and the believers there were pretty, pretty new to the faith. And the Apostle Paul was all the way out in Athens, separated by quite a distance. And what we're going to see in this passage is that he longed to be with those people, those believers that he loved so very much in Thessalonica. And I can relate to Paul's feelings. Because as we're going through this shutdown and we're doing church in homes and we're doing it through video, I long for the Sunday that we can be gathered back together here at Riverstone Church together. And a great lesson that I hope 
that all of us learn as we go through this shutdown and this coronavirus together is to appreciate and value the body of Christ. You see, someday, we don't know which Sunday it is, but it's coming. We'll be able to gather back together again in here. We'll be able to shake hands. We'll be able to greet one another. We'll be able to shoulder to shoulder sing our praises of worship to God. We'll be able to sit in our chairs right next to one another, open our Bibles, and explore God's word together. We'll be able to put hands on each other's shoulders and pray for one another, encourage one another. You see, that's what the body of Christ is all about. And one of the things that struck me is I think we took for granted It's been a long time in America since we've experienced something like what we're experiencing now. And I believe we may have taken for granted what the body of Christ truly is. So I hope on the other side of these shutdowns and the coronavirus that we'll be able to just cherish in our hearts what the body of Christ truly is and those relationships that we have with one another. So that's my hope, is that Riverstone Church coming out of this can have a much greater appreciation for what Jesus intended the body of Christ to be. See, these are unique, unique times for churches. In America, we're, we're, used to, we're used to these types of epidemics taking place somewhere else, kind of out there. We watch it on the news, we read about it on the internet, but we're not used to it being right here in our very own community. And that's what's happening today. It's very unsettling And our lives are changing more and more each and every day. It's also been a long time since the church in America has been asked to be the voice of God to our generation at a time anything like this. We've had quite a few decades where the church really hasn't had to speak up in the midst of a crisis. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today. That God is asking us to be his voice to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, and to one another. That is an awesome responsibility, and it's also an awesome privilege. A couple days ago, our pastoral intern Kai asked me, and he said, Pastor Bob, when you were at Dallas Seminary, did you ever have a class on how to lead a church through a pandemic? You know what? I wish I did. Because as we try to meet the needs of people, just as I mentioned that continuum from one end of it to another, what does it look like for us as a church to meet the needs of our own church family and to meet the needs of our community with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? See, and God's given us everything we need in Christ to do just that. Most of you are aware that uh, we've canceled our worship services, at least in person, our ministry events and our small group gatherings, again, in person, up through and including Sunday, March 29th. Well, that's just a little over a week away. It's actually next Sunday, and we may need to extend that date a little bit. We don't know. We will be closely listening to medical experts and to the governmental authorities and getting counsel and guidance from them. But I, I believe one of, the, one of the greatest ways that we can truly love our neighbors and our community in the midst of this is to follow the advice that's given to us by those leaders who are trying to stem this epidemic, this pandemic, and address the coronavirus. And when they ask us to social, 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 do social distancing, I truly believe one of the greatest acts of love that we can do is cooperate with that. So if we extend the dates of these shutdowns, we'll communicate that. We'll let you know. 
One of the things we'll be doing is putting that on our website. It'll be our main place of communication. However, I want to remind all of us, I mentioned us as being the body of Christ. You see, just because we can't gather, it doesn't mean that we stop being the church. We've always said at Riverstone Church that church is not the building. And this situation is giving us the opportunity to prove that. You see, the church is the people of Jesus Christ. And Riverstone Church is all of us. And we can continue, probably not quite as well, but we can continue in relationship even though we're separated in our different homes and experiencing these shutdowns. We've posted just in the last few days some resources on our church website. These are resources that we have sifted through to help adults and teens and kids grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of material out there. You can go on the internet, you can look and find, and you can find all kinds of material. Some of it really good, some of it not so good. So what we've done is we've gone through it and we found the resources that we believe as pastors and directors here at our church that we believe would help you and your families grow close to Jesus Christ through this time where we're shut down as a church and we're not able to gather together. So I want to encourage you, go to our website regularly. We'll be posting these resources intended for you to use them as you grow in your relationship. Parents, use them with your kids. Pastor Jeremy's already done a teaching lesson online with the youth here at Riverstone Church. We're going to continue doing things like that. We're going to provide devotionals for families, and we're going to provide podcasts that we think would be, we, our people would grow from as they watch it together. So I'm going to encourage you to take advantage of these. And again, check our website. It's the place that we're going to be putting most of these things up first. You see, social distancing doesn't mean that disciple-making has to stop. Just this past week, we've added several Zoom licenses to the church. And already, some of our, our men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, and growth groups are gathering together and continuing their Bible studies right at home online. I want to encourage you, if you're in a growth group, if you're one of our leaders, to, to, to continue doing that so we can keep gathering together as the body of Christ, even though we can't do it in the same room together. See, we're going to come up with creative ways to be the church at a time like this. This past Tuesday, we closed the church office, and all of our staff, pastors, directors, and administrative staff are continuing to work from home. Matter of fact, our administrative staff took their, their phones, their office phones, home with them so they can take incoming calls and transfer calls. They can get, send calls to voicemail so that we can continue operating as a church body. Now, I can't promise that they won't be answering those phones in their pajamas, but thankfully they're not video calls, so you'll never know. But I want to encourage all of us, our pastors, our directors, our elders, we want to hear from you. You can call us, you can voicemail us, you can email us. All of us are responding to emails all the time. See, we realize that this is a time of uncertainty. And I want to encourage all of us, if you have a prayer request, if you have a need, maybe it's a need to a ride that's needed to get to a hospital or a doctor's office, or maybe you need help with food shopping. Maybe you just need technical assistance so that you can be part of some of these online Bible studies that we're offering. Give us a call. You see, it's not only our pastors and directors and administrative team, or even our elders, but it's all of us who can minister to one another. 
Collectively, we are the body of Christ. I want to please encourage you to reach out to one another. Check in on one another. See how each other are doing. Pray with each other. Encourage each other. And keep that relationship where you're ministering together in true biblical community going. Because that's what the church is all about. And let's reflect the love of Jesus Christ for one another and to the outside world so that the gospel is proclaimed and people see the love through us as we're expressing the love of Jesus Christ to them. And one other thing I can't express enough at this time is prayer. See, prayer is the most important thing that we can be doing as we go through this pandemic. If we believe that God answers prayer, and I hope we all do, then we should be praying individually and praying with one another as we walk through this together. Pray that this coronavirus will come to an end. Pray for those who are sick with it. Pray for those who have lost loved ones. Pray that our faith would remain strong throughout this time and that Riverstone Church would grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that we would effectively minister the gospel to others as we go through this. And as I emphasize prayer right now, would you join me in praying right now? Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Lord, as we walk together as a church family through something that's very unsettling, something that we've never walked through before, I pray that you would give us strength. I pray that we would turn to you, Lord, and that we would find our strength in you because our true hope comes in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would find the answer to all that we are struggling with, to our anxieties, to how we handle this unknown. Lord, I pray that we would find our peace in Jesus Christ alone. Father, help us to minister to one another well. I pray that we would put one another ahead of ourselves. Lord, many people are scared and unsettled. And Father, I pray that we would find our strength in Christ so that we can check in on one another, that we can minister to one another. Father, you have worked through your church over the centuries as your people have responded at times just like this. Father, give us the strength to minister well to the people around us. Help us to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ to a world that is struggling right now. Lord, to a world that is looking for answers. And Lord, help us to turn them and point them to Christ. Father, strengthen us, encourage us. And Lord, I pray right now as we open your word together that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to ask, this is a time in our service where we would usually ask for the ushers to come forward and distribute Bibles. Obviously, we're not doing that today. So what I want to encourage as we do these video sermons is that every Sunday, if you come to as a family or even as an individual or however you're watching these sermons, I want to encourage you, come with your Bibles. Come with them open. We'll be posting online what passage we're going to be looking at. And today we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So I'd encourage you to turn there. And as you're turning in your Bibles to that passage, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1, I would like to just share a little bit of background. Last week, um, Pastor Tom preached on 1 Thessalonians, the last half of chapter 2. And as he preached that passage, one of the things that was very apparent to me was that chapter 2 flows right in to chapter 3 without a break. And you see, as we look at our Bibles today, we have chapter headings, we have verse numbers. 
but when Paul wrote this, this letter to the Thessalonians, those chapter headings and verse numbers weren't there. And Paul was writing one continuous letter that he wanted to send off, to, that he did send off to the Thessalonians. And what I'm seeing is that the theme of the end of chapter 2 flows right into today's passage. To give you a little bit of background, Paul and Silas and Timothy had preached the gospel in Thessalonica some years before. And people started responding to the gospel that they preached. And people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And as people came to faith in Jesus Christ, a little church formed in Thessalonica. And that church, right from the start, was experiencing persecution. And what we saw was that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they built up the church. But soon after that church had started, Paul and Silas and Timothy moved on to a new area. And they took the gospel and they preached it. And they started new churches in surrounding areas and as they moved away from Thessalonica. And where we ended up at the end of chapter 2 and where we begin today in verse 1 of chapter 3 is that Paul and Timothy find themselves in Athens. Now Silas had moved into Athens with Paul and Timothy, but by the time we get to here, Silas had already moved on to Philippi to take the word of God there as he was preaching to the Philippians. And Paul and Timothy were left behind as they were in the city of Athens. Now what was happening here as well is Paul's heart started to really, it was breaking for the Thessalonians. See, if we remember, I think 2,000 years ago, there were, there were no cell phones, there was no internet, there were no websites, there wasn't even Instagram or Snapchat. Yes, believe it or not, the church existed before social media. And a matter of fact, they actually did pretty well. But see, here was Paul down in Athens with no means of communication to know how those Thessalonian believers were doing. And Paul's heart was aching for them. He knew they were under persecution. And what we see in the passage that I'm going to read right now is that Paul was longing to go back to the Thessalonians to see how they were doing, to see how their faith was doing, and to be able to offer encouragement to them. I want to begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to read right through from verses 1 through 10. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking 
in your faith. See, as we read through that, I think the reality is what we're seeing, it's almost like we're seeing an x-ray here of the Apostle Paul's heart as he shows his deep, deep love and care for the people under his care. You see, I, I, I don't know about you, I tend to think of the Apostle Paul more as, as the, the great evangelist. But in reality, Paul was also a great shepherd. And as we see in this passage and we see in other places, Paul had so much love and care for the people that he ministered to. And we see that heart of Paul in this passage as he is longing for these young believers in Thessalonica. Verses 1 and 5. I want to take a look at those for a moment. If we go back, and it says in verse 1, Therefore, when we can endure it no longer. And then we drop down to verse 5, and Paul says the same thing. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer. You see what Paul was longing to be with these Thessalonian believers. Now, in verse 1, if you notice, it says we. Verse 5, it says I. Think of that we in verse 1 as he's talking in the beginning there as what we could call maybe the royal we. Now, you might ask, what exactly is the royal we? Well, picture the, the Queen of England, and she says, we would like a cup of tea. You know what she's saying in reality is, I would like a cup of tea, and somebody better bring me one soon. You see, and that's what Paul was really saying, because we knew at this time Silas had already moved off to Philippi. And Paul and Timothy were alone in Athens, and Paul was saying in his heart, I long to be with you. And the I is that it's I, the Apostle Paul, who sends Timothy off to be with those believers in Thessalonica. Thus, as Paul sent Timothy off to Thessalonica, what we see is it leaves Paul alone in Athens. And Athens was a really difficult and lonely place for the Apostle Paul. Acts 17 and 18 records the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Athens. And Athens was a very skeptical and cynical place, full of secular philosophers who were rejecting the gospel message that Paul was preaching. And the more they rejected the gospel, the more the personal persecution that Paul endured was growing. And we see here that Paul was lonely, and yet he was willing to send off Timothy. Couple this atmosphere in Athens with the fact that Paul, throughout the scriptures, shows that he values and cherishes his ministry companions. Men like Timothy, Barnabas, Saul, Titus, and others. He cherishes those ministry partnerships and relationships so very much. And yet Paul, in the midst of this difficult mission field, this very lonely place, was willing to send Timothy off to Thessalonica and leave Paul alone in Athens. I can relate to this. A little over a year ago, Pastor Austin and I traveled to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And as we went off to the Congo, one of the things you'll find about, helps you understand about the Congo is that it's an extremely poor country. And at the same time that Austin and I went, it was January last year, the Congo was experiencing one of the worst Ebola outbreaks in history. And the area that we went to, I'll tell you, we, well, we, first off, we were told that it was going to be very safe. And the area that we went to geographically, the impact of the Ebola, then the outskirts of it, was probably about the same distance that Philadelphia is to Yardley. So when Austin and I went there, we were assured that everything would be okay. We flew in and we did ministry in Rwanda first. And as we traveled from Rwanda into the Congo, we went, had to go through the, the immigration um, building in Rwanda. They fill out the paperwork, they took our temperatures, and then we walked from there down this walkway. 
outside into a new building which was crossing the border into the Congo. I'll tell you, the poverty difference between Rwanda and the Congo was astounding. And as we walked into the building in the Congo, we had to go through the same thing, hand them our paperwork. They took our temperatures. And we looked around, and the room was filled with posters. And those posters, we couldn't read any of them, but I'll tell you, if there were about 500 words on the poster, probably about 50 of those words were Ebola. And it's the only thing that we could read. As we walked outside, there were loudspeakers that were going on, and we couldn't understand the language, but what we could hear over and over again was the word Ebola. And as we drove, the, the Alarm staff, Alarm is the ministry we worked with. Many of you are familiar with African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. Their staff picked us up, and as we were driving in cars through the streets, there would be military checkpoints where your car had to stop. They make you get out of your car and you walk up to these trucks that had big chemical solutions with chlorine and whatever was mixed in there. And you had to wash your hands in that before you could get back in your car and continue. I'll tell you, it was all a little unsettling. One of the other things that we experienced as well is that, um, and you probably have noticed, that Austin and I are both pretty um, fair-skinned white guys. And as we were in the Congo, we found ourselves to be a definite, minor- a, de- a clear minority. And, you know, one of the things that as a white person living in America, we seldom experience being in the minority. And as Austin and I were over there, it was clear, I don't think, in the three or four days that we spent in the Congo, I don't believe we saw one other white person the whole time. I'm not trying in any way to be racist as I say that. I believe I'm not. I think we all hold some prejudices within us from the way we grew up, no matter what color we may be. But you see, when Austin and I, what we experienced was coming from a majority culture here in the United States into a place where we clearly were different from everyone else. We would walk the streets and people would comment, kids would make comments, and, you know, it was just a very different feeling. And if you've never experienced that, it helps you to understand how different ethnic minorities feel right here in the United States. But Austin and I were feeling that as well. So when you combine the Ebola crisis that was going on with that feeling that we had, it does contribute to a sense of loneliness. The cultural surroundings were so very different. The hotel that Austin and I stayed in, it was a Congolese hotel, not like our American hotels. And I can remember one night I was lying in my bed, just had covered by a big mosquito netting because I had to do that because of the threat of uh, malaria that was very real at the time as well. And I was lying in the dark and I had a flashlight out. And Janet and I were reading through a devotional and reading through scripture together and committed to doing that the whole time that I was away. I had my flashlight lit, it was dark, and you could hear the strange, unfamiliar sounds coming through the window. And as I was reading it, I was struck with really how very lonely it was. Austin and I had separate rooms, and when we got together in the morning, we kind of shared experiences, and we both were talking about just that loneliness that comes. I imagine that Timothy and Paul were probably about the same age difference between myself and Austin. And it made me think, as I was preparing for today, what would it have been like? You see, Paul, when he was in Athens, was experiencing a lot of persecution. He was facing rejection. I faced none of that in the Congo. The people were amazing. Austin and I taught at a marriage conference for leadership couples. We loved the people that were there. We had a great time of ministry. We never faced persecution. We never faced rejection. But Paul did in Athens. And it made me wonder what it would have been like had I been there for an extended period of time in the city of Goma in the Congo, 
and sent Austin off somewhere else to do ministry, leaving myself alone in that ministry context. You see, that was a little reflection of what Paul was experiencing. But I want to ask the question. Paul thought it was that important to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. What was Timothy's purpose in going back? Take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And when we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. You see, Timothy's purpose was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. I want you to think of that word strength, and I think the best way we could think of it is the word buttressing. See, when I think of a, maybe a, a fort in the old days that they were building up as a military fort, they knew the enemy was coming, there could be cannon fire, gunfire, whatever may be coming, and they buttressed that fort so that it would be ready for that invasion. That's what Paul's talking about here as he's talking about, I want to strengthen you in your faith. What Paul is saying is, I want your faith in God to be strong, I want it to be firm, I want you to be mature so that you can stand strong in your faith. Then we take the word strengthen and we couple it up with encourage. And what Paul was saying, I want you to be mature in your faith so that you can then apply it. You see, the more you know about God, the more you know his word, the stronger your faith and the more prepared you're going to be to apply truth to situations, to stand strong in the midst of temptation to not fear in the face of a pandemic, and then to effectively minister the gospel to other people. That's what Timothy's purpose was to be back in Thessalonica, so that he could strengthen and encourage the faith of those young believers. That's what I want to see as well at Riverstone Church. Our goal is to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Not just so we can get built up in our own faith and minister to ourselves, but that we can be strong in our relationship with God, that we can be mature, and that we can then go out and we can minister to others with the gospel. That's what it looks like to strengthen and encourage our faith. Now, as we're going through this chapter 3, Paul knew that the Thessalonians back in Thessalonica were facing persecution, temptations, and trials. But he wanted to know, was their faith holding up? Let's take a look at verses 3 through 5 again. Paul wants to send Timothy back to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. See, as we read through that, Paul is saying, I know what you're going through. I feel your pain. I, too, have suffered. And it was inevitable. You see, Paul says here, and I kept informing you that this was going to come. What I picture is that when Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing that initial ministry back in Thessalonica, as they were preaching the gospel, they made it very clear that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. See, Paul, in this passage, and the Bible itself, nowhere in the Bible do we hear a health and wealth prosperity gospel ever preached. Paul was making it very clear is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will suffer. And right here at Riverstone Church today, 
We're in the midst of this pandemic. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're suffering. But you see, what Paul was telling them is, yes, in a broken world, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, you're going to experience trials and tribulation and suffering like disease or whatever it may be. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, persecution and suffering is going to come. You see, Jesus said it real clearly. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome. See, I love how Jesus ended that. You will have tribulation. We're experiencing it now. And Jesus said, but I have overcome. See, that's our hope today as well. Remember, I started out and I said, the greatest thing that we can do is point people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome sickness and death and sin. And he's our greatest hope at a time like this. Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians from the city of Corinth. And what had happened, it was Paul and, and, and Timothy, I mentioned that Silas had already moved on. Um, Paul sent Timothy off to Thessalonica. Paul stayed in Athens and he continued ministering to the, to the city of Athens. But before Timothy returned back from Thessalonica, the apostle Paul moved on to the city of Corinth. And when Timothy went off to Thessalonica, when he returned to Paul, he returned to the city of Corinth where the two of them met up again. And it was there in Corinth that Paul wrote this letter of 1 Thessalonians. So what I want to look at right now is we look at the next section of this, I'm going to read through the end, 6 through 10. And what we see is the report that Timothy brings back to Paul, the report that Paul was desperately longing to hear. Let's listen to these words. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live. This is what Paul is saying. We really live because of this good report that we just got back. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we, re we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. See, as we look at that, Timothy brought back good news from Thessalonica. It's interesting that Paul uses the word, it's the Greek word here, it's euangelion, which means the good news. It's the gospel. So that's what the gospel means. The gospel means the good news. This is the only place in the entire New Testament that euangelion, the good news, is used for anything other than the salvation message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here Paul uses that same word, good news, to express his inner feelings and his emotions when he hears that these young believers in Thessalonica are doing well in the Lord, that their faith is strong. See, specifically what we'll see in verse 6, it says here, the good news of your faith and love. See, that's what Paul was excited about. He heard about their faith, and he heard about their love. When you put these two words together, faith and love, it really sums up godliness. If we think about faith and love, if I have faith in God, and if I, you think about, and if I love the Lord my God with what? With all my heart, 
with all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and I love my neighbor as myself. I have fulfilled the whole law. That's what Jesus said himself, we see in the scriptures. And here we see that the Thessalonian believers were strong in their faith and that they were strong in their love. And I, at the end of verse 10, we see here it says that Paul said that night and day I have kept praying most earnestly. See, as I read that, that's a lot of prayer. See, I think what we can say here is, as Paul saying, is that he was praying continuously for these Thessalonians. As I read that, I was convicted. And I think as a pastor of a church, most like Paul was the, the father of these believers at that time, I was convicted about my prayer life. I pray for Riverstone Church. I pray for you. But can I actually say that I pray night and day? So I think one of the great things that we can learn in this passage, if we want to shepherd and love our people well and love each other well, is that we will pray continuously. Now, one of the reasons it says here as well in verse 10, Paul longed to be with these Thessalonian believers was so that he could provide, it says here, that I may complete what is lacking in your faith. You see, Paul knew that they were young believers, and he longed to go back to Thessalonica someday to see them in person, to help them mature in their faith. So I want to transition to some concluding remarks at this time. And I'd like to tie in, as we read this passage today, I'd like to tie in to what we're experiencing in our country right now. I'd like to look at it from two perspectives, one from a personal perspective and one from a universal church perspective. See, first, personally, this past week, I received an email. This email came in from a, a mom at our church who has kids, that their school's been canceled, the kids are now home, and she was feeling a lot of frustration. I can imagine it may be similar to what many of you are feeling as well. And I, I asked her if I could um, read some just lines from this email. She said I could use her name. I chose, I'm going to choose not to. But she gave me her permission to share this. And see what, she, she doesn't have anyone in her family sick with the coronavirus. She's not afraid of the virus herself. But I think it's the un, just the constantly changing circumstances and the new reality that she finds herself in. Listen to a few quotes from the email. I don't get one minute's peace. I need to put in 24 hours a week of work, now homeschool, cook three meals a day, keep up with the house, and be a wife. If my husband doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. I'm lonely and craving adult conversation, and everything feels out of control. I've got friends who are sick and family who are worried. Can you relate to that? See, I think all of us can relate to the changing circumstances that we're in. I think we wake up every day and something new is coming in or restrictions are put in place and there's so many unknowns. Each of us is facing a new reality until all this is over. I don't want to downplay this. Some of you out there may be sick with the coronavirus. Some of you may have suffered a lot more already. Maybe you're elderly or you're immune deficient and you're scared. Maybe the fear of losing your job is very real. We get it, and we want to help. In the days and weeks ahead, we'll be mobilizing new care ministries that Pastor Austin's going to be leading for outreach. We're going to want to provide opportunities for people if you need a ride to the hospital, if you need to be able to get someone to food shop for you that you're not able to do it yourself, if you know a next-door neighbor that's hurting the elderly, whatever it may be. 
we're mobilizing resources to help meet these needs. If you're in a situation and you need help, we want to hear from you. Also, maybe you're somebody who says, I want to be part of meeting those needs. Let us know. We're looking for volunteers who can help. Maybe you're somebody that wants to listen in, as I mentioned before, to some of our resources online, but you don't know the technology, and you could just use some guidance in that. Take advantage of our discipleship resources. Get on our website. Folks, let's put aside Netflix and our, our binge-watching for a little bit and maybe do some binging of growing in our faith in Jesus Christ. We're providing those resources, so I want to encourage you to take advantage of them. As Paul longed to provide what was lacking in the Thessalonians, we long to come alongside of you and help you grow in your faith. As a, I want to encourage as well for our small groups to keep meeting. I mentioned that earlier. I also want to encourage all of us to be the church. Don't wait for the leaders of the church to be the ones that do all of the ministry. Reach out to one another, encourage one another, meet needs, pray for one another. And let's think of creative ways that we can show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. I want to take a moment as well to talk about the church universal as we wrap up. See, the church over the centuries has been no stranger to plagues and, and to epidemics and disasters. And according to Christian and non-Christian sources, we can see that in, throughout the centuries, throughout history, the church has grown and flourished in the midst of these disasters. I want to turn our attention to one of them. Back in A.D. 249, it was actually about from 249 to about 262 A.D., the world went through one of the worst pandemics it had ever experienced. And the Bishop Dionysus of Alexandria wrote about that time in the life of, our, of the world. And he wrote this. He wrote this statement about the non-Christians in Alexandria. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of that fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. See, that pandemic at that time exceeded way beyond anything we're experiencing today. See, they didn't have the medical resources, they didn't have the hospitals, they didn't have the care that we have today. But we saw how the world reacted. And then Dionysius wrote this about the Christians who were responding. And you see, he was writing this as a Christian writer, but secular records affirm what Dionysius is sharing in both of these quotes I'm reading. Here's the quote pertaining to the Christian response. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. What a remarkable contrast between those who knew Jesus Christ and those who didn't. See, as we read this, I want to encourage us all to what does our faith look like in our response? And I'm not advocating recklessness. I mentioned earlier that please, 
just follow the advice of social distancing that we're being given by our professional medical professionals and authorities to help stop the spread of this virus. Social distancing is not just a good idea, it's critical and it's an act of love towards our neighbors. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, let's model peace and calm in the midst of the rising anxiety that's all around us. See, this situation for all of us is testing our faith. I've never had to lead a church through a pandemic before. None of us have. Our leadership, we're coming together and we're learning as we go. But you see, we have Jesus Christ to show us the way. I want to encourage all of us to go out of our way, to love one another, to love our community, to love our world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And let's show them Jesus Christ through our words and deeds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we know that we have you as we walk through this together. Father, for many of us, our lives have been inconvenienced, but we haven't experienced real suffering. Lord, some of us have experienced real suffering and hardship, whether it be physical, whether it be financial, whatever it may be. Father, these are uncertain times. Lord, guide us and lead us in responding in a way that our faith is evident to the world around us, and we minister to one another with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.